Welcome to another episode about Indiana politics. I'm Deb Chubb and wonderful to have uh, Ariel Brandy here with me today. Um, I have watched uh, Ariel over the last couple of years, just really, uh, you are just a rock star in, um, in politics and the Democratic Party in particular, and Thank are you. now the president of the Indiana Young Democrats. And so I want you to tell us a little bit more about yourself because there is so much, and I want you to say what is important to you. So tell us more about yourself. Yeah, so hi everybody. I'm so glad to be here with you, Deb. I know we've been trying to get this uh, going for a while now, so I'm glad that we're able to have this conversation. But like Deb said, my name is Arielle Brandy. I currently serve as the president of Indiana Young Democrats. I have been a part of the organization for 12 years now. So I am a veteran uh, in this work and been a part of this organization for a long time. So. Stepping into presidency has been um, an honor because I've been able to represent us previously as national committee woman, um, talking about uh, Indiana and how we do have Democrats here and really trying to get the DNC to invest um, in us. And I think we are, we, we are getting closer uh, to that uh, with some of the strides that we have been able to make here in our state. Um, but also currently serve as executive director for I Vote For, which was a uh, project that I co-founded alongside some women from the Pete for America campaign that I'm really, really excited about. We help um, equip women with the tools that they need to be able to learn how to tell their story and uh, use some relational organizing tools to have meaningful conversations about values and what that investment looks like in politics. And then I also serve as alumni chair for Hoosier Women Forward, uh, getting women, um, Democratic women all across the state um, into leadership positions, whether it's running for office, uh, government, nonprofit, whatever their heart desires to do, we help equip them with the tools they need to be able to lead. Uh, so I do that and a bunch of other things. And, and I'm a mom. I'm a mom. I, a mom. I have two daughters, um, wow. which, you know, has turned me into a teacher now from home virtually. <laughs> I can't imagine having young children at this point in my life. Um, that is just one of the biggest um, problems with you know this whole um, negligence ab among the federal government in handling this pandemic, in my opinion. I sit on the school board. And so uh, just the notion that we have just asked parents to give up their lives and become teachers uh, without really any support. <laughs> it's yeah. just, uh, it's unbelievable. So, okay, so my big question, and, uh, and I want to talk about a few different things. You've had some great experience on the Pete Buttigieg campaign, and, um, and I really want to talk about that, too, because I think that's important. And I want to, of course, um, acknowledge uh, the role that African-American women played in the success in Georgia. And I know that you have studied that, uh, that event, like many of us, and I know that you are going to be using that to inform everything you do uh, going forward. So... That leads me to my big question is, what are we going to do to make this Democratic Party in Indiana work better, uh, you know, be more successful, be more inclusive, and, um, and really upgrade? Yeah, yeah, I think one, it starts with investing in communities of color. And when I talk about investing, I don't just talk about money. Uh, in resources, I talk about actually like investing when it comes to candidates of color that decide to run, we need to be supporting them, we need to be giving them the tools and the resources that they need to be able to run effective campaigns that are actually going to allow them to win. We don't invest as much as we should into our candidates of color, um, whether they're incumbents or they're running for the very first time, I think we need to do that. 
Uh, we also need to invest in our voters of color in the black community, the Latino community and the AAPI community and our LGBTQ community as well. Um, it's more than just saying that we want to get them registered and, and expect them to actually come out and vote. Uh, we need to be actually having meaningful conversations with them and hearing them on their issues um, so that it's more than just connecting them to a candidate and saying, hey, come and vote for me and expecting them to do that. It doesn't work like that anymore. We need to be investing in their communities all year round, all of the time, and not just when it's election time. Uh, because Black voters know when you're just coming to their church uh, only to be able to campaign. We know when you're just coming into our neighborhoods just to be able to ask us if we're gonna show up to vote for you as a candidate. Um, as a party, we need to make that investment happen all of the time. And we need to be having conversations with folks in these communities uh, way past election cycles and it not just be um, all about candidates all of the time, but the actual issues that they have. You know, I wanna, I wanna press you a little bit on that because you know we've talked about that before. So I wanna ask you, you know, what does that look like you know, in real terms? What does that look like? Yeah, so I mean, we've been able to do it here in St. Joe County. Um, this is why you see that our county does go, we go blue. Um, and we've been able to see a change in, you know, the demographics that show up. If you look at precinct numbers, uh, the precincts that are showing out, showing up and changing the course of a race, you see it happening in the Black and Latino communities. But that's because we're having meaningful community conversations with them all of the time. Uh, we saw it happen when we had some police shooting incidents here. Uh, the city decided to organize community roundtables about how citizens could get involved in the policing process. Um, you know, we're, we have our school board. When they were, uh, you know, trying to get a referendum passed, they were having conversations with students, with their parents, with teachers, actually having these meaningful conversations all of the time and not just when they were trying to get something passed, but it helped because they had already built those relationships with the community, it led to the referendum passing. Uh, when you want to have conversations about what happens in the neighborhoods, uh, you're reaching out to your neighborhood associations and you're building relationships with the folks in those neighborhoods all of the time, not just when issues are happening. Um, and, and that's something that you know a, a lot of us don't do. We only come around when it's convenient or when it's time to run but it's making that investment and in talking to folks in the community all of the time, whether you're just popping up at a coffee shop or calling somebody on the phone or figuring out who the neighborhood gatekeeper is like, those are the things that we have to do and actually invest in. And sometimes it takes us talking to folks who may not identify as Democrats right away uh, because they may be independent or they may just be folks who have never voted before. And there are so many Hoosiers in the state that have not voted before that we have yet to tap into uh, because we haven't had any conversations with them. So it, it looks a, a bunch of different ways, but I think it's also tapping into organizations that are already doing the work and forming partnerships with them. Um, mm -hmm. It can't just solely just be us as a party. We have to be able to branch out and find different organizations that are willing to meet with us and, and have some conversations as well. And how do you see the Indiana Young Democrats you know, playing a role in that process? Yeah, so a lot of the work that we do, one, um, I'm very proud of the fact that we have one of the most, not just diverse, but one of the most inclusive boards that we've had in our state's history. Uh, we, one, for the first time in our state's history, have a Black woman, myself, um, and our vice president is a Black queer man. That's not happened in our state before. 
and also the rest of our board is Latino and LGBTQI, like everybody's from all over, Jewish. There has been in the past limitations on some of that stuff. And now we have opened it up to bringing in even some folks who at one time probably did not feel as if they belonged a part of the Democratic Party. Um, and I said, we want them. They're young, they're hungry, they're doing the work in their community. Bring them in because this is a space for all of us to figure out how we can make this better. And so I built an executive committee that is inclusive and comes from all different walks of life, all different corners of the state. Uh, some of them have been activists before and did not feel as if they would ever be a part of a democratic organization. Um, but they're doing great work in their community and they're able to mobilize, they're able to identify and recruit candidates. And we've seen that happen. And so that's the part in the role that we played here in 2020 um, was not only just bringing in more young people into the fold of the party, but giving them the space to be able to talk about some of the most important issues. Um, it's just unfortunate that we came at this in the middle of a pandemic and a moment of you know, civil unrest, but we had some really hard and tough conversations as an organization and we were very vocal about where we stood and we did not always see that from the National Democratic Party, let alone the state party sometimes. Um, but we knew that there was so much at stake, not only just for young people, but just Hoosiers of color in general. And so we wanted to be at the forefront of that. Um, and, and so we decided that we were gonna invest not only just time and energy into that, but actually uh, when we were phone banking for candidates, we were making sure that we were talking to black voters. We were making sure we were talking to Latino voters. We were very intentional about the work that we're doing. And I think that that's what we have to do as a party. You have to be intentional about where you're investing your time and energy because you only get one time or one shot to try to make those changes. So that's some of the work that we, we've been doing and supporting candidates that align with our values and, and that support us in leadership too. So, and that's great. And I just want to highlight too, I think um, you had mentioned before, um, uh, you know, on MLK Day, having a day of service. And I believe that that is something that Democratic Party really needs to on a local level, really, um, you know, up their game. Um, being involved in those sorts of community projects, you know, that's the way uh, you can reach people. Um, so, and I, I did want to, and you're doing a terrific job of that. And I want to say too, Thank I you. have popped into your Zoom meetings, even though I'm not really young. <laughs> no, we welcome, we welcome. How they did it, nobody noticed. So, so I got to sit in there and just, you know, hearing from all of the members and, uh, you know, and looking at them. And it was just a, a total, a wonderful uh, example of great diversity uh, in that group. And, uh, and you could tell there was enthusiasm and there was just excitement about being in there. And I think that's really a tribute to your leadership. So you. uh, I could tell that people really admire you. And uh, I think that's just wonderful. And you're, you know, you have a great power for uh, in bringing on and inspiring uh, enthusiasm. And so, you know, one of the other things I wanted to mention too about the, um, the Georgia experience, um, that's, is that in history, I guess will go down as the Georgia experience. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but um, but one of the things that I saw that um, kind of goes to this topic is that they really made a point. They they did raise a lot of money. They got a lot of money. Stacey Abrams went around the country and was able yes. to make a great case and really did get a lot of money. So that made a big difference. But they mm -hmm. used that money to you know bring it right to the community. 
um, literally having just events in these communities all yep. the time. Uh, having, you know, just food trucks, uh, you know, come along and having a block party. Um, really just coming into the community and, uh, and bringing everything to where people are. Um, and as we know, that's, you know, that's, yeah. And you have to, you have to meet people where they are. And that's, and that's one of the marks that we miss sometimes is that we, like I said, we're just knocking on doors and making phone calls during election time. And then when that's over, we're not, we're not doing anything further than that, you know, and you see it with a lot of these community organizations. They're, like you said, they're doing the block parties. They're already doing the convert, the coffee conversations why are we not leaning into those things that are already existent? Because what we don't want to do as organizers or party leaders is come into a space where something already exists and try to recreate it. And a lot of the times that's what we like to try to do. And we have to make sure that we're not, we're not like these, this is people's homes. This is their community where they've been invested for a long time, where they've already built and mobilized themselves we need to be leaning into those folks. You know, you look at Stacey Abrams and when she talks about the work that she's done, she does not just accredit it to herself. She talks about all of the other black women that had organizations that existed before hers that have been doing this work and how they came together because they had one common goal. Um, and and that's, that's what needs to happen. There are so many organizations that are doing, you know, great work around voting rights or, you know, community development, and we need to be having conversations with those folks and, and bringing them into the fold of what we're trying to do. So, and I love, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, you probably are, but in Vanderburg County, um, Edie Hardcastle, um, you know, adopted and just, well, actually she recruited and pulled the system into her county, which is just um, outstanding, uh, called the Neighborhood Leaders Program. And really the, um, I think the, the real crux of that uh, system is the neighborhood leaders, um, like precinct committee chairs in the Democratic Party, similar to that structure, but neighborhood leaders adopt 35 households. And that's it. And, and, it, and they work with those households year-round. Um, and they develop relationships. And so they know when people move or, or move in or move yep. out. They know when kids are turning 18 to get registered. Uh, they know uh, who needs a ride to the polls because they know them. Uh, that's their neighborhood. And so, um, again, I think it goes to what you've been talking about is this really community-based relationship building um, program. And, yeah. uh, and I really love that. And one of the other real um, benefits of that program that she's put in there is the data. Um, she's, because people are working with their neighborhood friends, they're acquiring organic data um, yep. about, uh, about their neighbors and their neighborhoods. And when you kind of start loading that all up, that turns into a very significant uh, and accurate and helpful database uh, that, you know, that could really help candidates uh, as, they, as they move forward. So I just think that's Absolutely. a terrific program. I wonder if you're familiar with what you're Yeah, no, and that's similar to, I mean, ideally that's what our precinct committee folks are supposed to be doing. And I say supposed to because not in every corner of the state are precinct people actively doing what they're supposed to do or the duties that are given to them um, as a precinct person um, because they're supposed to be, like I said, checking in on the voters in their precinct and making sure that they have the rides that they need or that they're all registered and 
like you said, making sure that the information is accurate. If somebody moves, being able to know that. Those are the roles of the precinct people, aside from just showing up when there's a caucus or when, you know, party elections roll around. That's the only time usually you will see active precinct committee folks actually doing the work that needs to be done. But there's something to say in the fact that they could be doing exactly what you talked about and what a lot of them do here in St. Joseph County. So our precinct folks, we do have a good amount of them that are actively involved in, in their precincts doing that kind of work. But when you talk about across the state, uh, what needs to be done, eh, I don't think we're seeing that happen. And so that's yeah. why you get programs like the one in Vandenberg that is working so well. Right. Um, is because we need that community investment to be able to happen. So right, I agree. It sounds like you know you're duplicating something that's already in place, and it doesn't make much sense. But that's you know the result of you know the poor implementation, I guess. Uh, yeah. And many of the precinct um, committee chairs that I've spoken with and, uh, and contacted often just say they don't know. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And so yeah. that you know that's another problem. You know that yeah. has to be corrected. Uh, yeah, because that falls chairs. on the, ro the role of uh, the chair to right. explain what that is supposed to be or, you know, the leadership of the party. And right. I feel like we, we haven't done we haven't done a good job at that. Yeah, right. So the other difference um, with this neighborhood leaders program is that it's a, a much smaller geographical area than a precinct. You know, precinct yes. should be a thousand people. Um, and uh, and this is really just a smaller portion. But I always like to remind people that it's a precinct committee chair. They're supposed to be a committee. And the precinct committee chair is, you know, really supposed to be engaging and recruiting volunteers uh, onto yes. a committee. So, yes. uh, so in that way, it also could be the same. Um, if it were implemented um, correctly, it could have that same benefit of working with a smaller group, uh, just like the neighborhood leaders program. So yeah, I agree with you. It does seem odd that this was kind of a, you know, <laughs> same, new, new, but the same. And, yeah. You know, you know, whatever works just... to get, well, yeah, whatever works to get people engaged and out to vote and, you know, doing what their civic duty. I mean, that's all yeah. better. I know. Well, it's, you know, I've been in education for a long time and it's always, it's like that in education. It's like someone will come up with this brand new idea, the brand new name, a new shiny box or the new picture. And you're like, isn't that like the old thing, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yes. okay, new name. Okay. But um, so I think that, I guess that happens everywhere. So, um, so um, I do want to talk to you too about um, your experience with the Pete Buttigieg campaign. Um, yeah. You know, I think all of us who've been involved in politics for many years has that, you know, that one campaign that really um, was pivotal. Uh, you know, for me, it was the Howard Dean campaign. You know, it just felt so different. And, and I think the Pete Buttigieg campaign was like that for, for uh, you know, many people. It just felt so different. And, and yeah. I think it was. And you were, you know, played such a big role in that. And I just have to say that um, I watched your interview when you you were lucky enough to interview Chastin uh, when he, on his book release, which was just wonderful. And congratulations to you. And, and you. I watched it and it was just an outstanding interview. Um, but there was this one just moving moment when he stopped the conversation and said, I want to acknowledge that you as an African-American woman uh, did not have the same experience as, as I did. And, um, and I thought it was, it was so touching that he made that point and made it so forcefully that he, he just, he wanted to see you 
um, yeah. and uh, and see your experience. And so I just want to ask you to respond to that and and tell me more about the experience and, and tell me what he was talking about. Yeah. So, you know, I have grown to know and love Pete and Chastin for the last what feels like 10 years. Um, obviously knew Pete when he served as mayor, but aside from him just being mayor, he was a friend and he always supported all of the work that I did here in the community. And anytime I needed something, a resource or just somebody to be there to help get the crowd pumped up or there was an issue that was happening in the black or Latino community, being able to bring him into the fold to actually you know, help address and alleviate some, some things that we had, he was always there. He was, like you said, the campaign was different because when he served as mayor, he was the most accessible public figure or elected official that we had ever had um, in a very, very long time. And so to be able to have somebody who served in that role be so accessible, so willing to listen and want to actually change something, uh, it was different. Um, and so I, I'm grateful that over the years, it also led me to get to know Chastin as a friend too, you know, aside from him just being, you know, the husband of our mayor, he was a friend. We would go to events together. Uh, you know, I would just see him out in the community. He was always just there. And over the campaign, we obviously grew closer because we did a lot of trips together. Uh, we were on the trail a lot. I was usually always introducing him or introducing Pete. We were having roundtable conversations with folks talking about the city that we loved. And um, they also too were able to see a, a lot of how the media attacked uh, the black women or black staffers that were a part of the campaign. And even a lot of the black voices that were coming out of South Bend that were in support of Pete. Uh, there was a lot of media erasure of what we were saying that was in a positive light. Uh, we would try to run stories or we would try to speak out against things that were being said about our city and what we knew was true. And we were you know, discredited or not utilized in the way that we should have been. Uh, and we saw a lot of people on social media say that we were fake uh, or that we weren't actual real people. Um, and you know, being on the trail and having conversations with folks, you know, everybody always wanted to talk about, you know, the issues that Pete had in the Black and Latino community, but they never wanted to talk about how he actually did the work to solve those issues. And so when you are somebody like me who would come in and say, I understand what you're saying, but this is how it's untrue. And I'm going to explain to you why to then be shut down by folks um, or for folks to not want to believe my own lived experience. Um, I've lived in South Bend for 30 years, aside from the time that I went to college. And to be in spaces where I'm speaking my own personal story, my own firsthand experience under Pete's leadership, to then be told that it was not true because the media said this or they said that, or we heard from somebody else in South Bend that it was different. It was a, 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 it was a discrediting of me, but also an erasure of me as a black woman. And we saw that happen so many times. And after a while, it takes a toll on you. I mean, when you're a black staffer trying to do this work and you constantly are put up against the fact that what you're putting out there, what you're saying isn't true, that it isn't valid, um, it's hurtful. And they, they saw that. 
And, you know, it, it was hard for us uh, when we as staffers were trying to uplift our candidate and talk about why we supported him. We were called all kinds of things from folks um, online, in public, uh, because they thought that obviously what we were saying wasn't true and that we were just being bought um, to be able to say those things. So, you know, we dealt with a lot and it took a toll because we, we believed that just as everybody else had saw him as special in the selection cycle, we knew exactly that's what it was. He was a once in a lifetime candidate. And you saw that he went from being a small town mayor to being a top tier presidential candidate, top three. And nobody expected that. And that was because of the hard work that we did. And it was because of the hard work that a lot of the black and brown voters in South Bend were speaking out against what they had to say about him. And, you know, I, I was very proud of the work that I did around South Bend stories on the campaign. You know, I helped found and create alongside some really great staffers utilizing authentic voices from South Bend. And so it was my job to find the people in the community and um, help prepare them to share their stories. And then we cultivated that into what you would see in our ads, what you would see on social media, the heartfelt videos that we use to tell the story of Pete's mayorship. It was because we used real people in South Bend and we used voices of color to help bring that to light. So it was frustrating when you're somebody who knows these people, loves these people and bring them into the fold of a national campaign for you know the media and for other folks to say that, that what they're saying is not true. That, that hurts. <laughs> so, wow. you, know, yeah. um, you know, Chastin, Chastin was somebody who would listen to my frustrations around that. He would see it himself. He saw it for a lot of us and he knew us too. And so it, it's hard. Um, and, and that's what we see a lot just in general when it comes to black people, when they speak out about the issues that are most important to them or that they know to be a lived experience, we see it get shut down constantly um, by the media, by other people who are just the naysayers and just you know have their own agendas. But we see that happen all the time. And unfortunately, you know, that was only you know a small bit of my experience on the trail and on the campaign, but not the whole experience. So it did give me the opportunity, like I said, to share my story. And um, I'm so grateful for the fact that I was a black woman in a senior leadership position on a presidential campaign and that I went across the country and I told my story. And Pete and Chaston allowed me to be authentic and talk about my experience in South Bend, my experience as a mother, my experience being black in politics, you know, they gave me the platform to do that. And that speaks volumes to anything that folks tried to erase from us. You know, it gave me the opportunity to do that. So I'm grateful for that. And that's, that's what he was coming from and, and what he was referring to is um, the erasure of our voices and, and how he knows how hard that was for, for me. Wow. I mean, what an experience. And, um, and I don't know, I just, it's so, it's so, it's just so heartbreaking and, you know, in so many ways and to know that, you know, that's not limited to politics. Um, no. You know, I mean, you know, we hear about it in healthcare all the time, you know, yes. just the uh, enormous multiple 
by which uh, African Americans are, um, you know, subject to more risks in healthcare because they're dismissed and not listened to. Yep. Um, particularly women and maternal health, and oh, it's it's just an issue. And I don't. Um, I wish I. I wish I had some answers. I wish I could figure out how to fix this. And of course, we. I guess we can hope that after January twentieth, there'll be some light at the end of the tunnel. And, I hope so. Um, this, yeah, this just prevailing, just uh, discrimination, uh, and you know, just isolation of of people and their, you know, and they're sticking with their own tiny little, tiny mm-hmm. little sect. Um, you know, it will will fall apart, and when people will see how important and how beneficial it is to everybody um, yeah. to be hearing all these different voices. So, and one of the things I remember from that interview with um, Cheston was that, you know, he said, you know, look at me, I get to write a book and go around the country. And, um, and you know, just kind of pointing out, you know, again, how different the experience is. It's like, um, but I want to say, you should write a book. <laughs> you should. Has, yeah, I have gotten that a lot over the past couple of years. Um, just not only when I was out on the trail, but just when I'm talking to young people or folks like people like you, or when I'm interviewing, people are like, you have a story you do. to tell and you should, you should probably write a book. So I've definitely been thinking about it. Um, I have a lot um, that I would love for not only just women, but, you know, other women of color and for young girls to be able to hear about my experience yes. because I was, I'm I, just like them. And so even though I've given, you know, over a decade dedicated to, you know, public service already, you know, I've only been, my first big girl job in politics was in 2016. Um, Before then, I was just a volunteer and a community organizer, just trying to figure it out. So you're looking at from 2016 up until now, all that has happened in my career in such a short amount of time, like it didn't come just easy there was a lot of hardship that happened along the way. Uh, So as you know, being a black woman in politics is not as glamorous as it looks when we're, we're speaking or or talking about what we're trying to get done, you know, it's, it's not easy. And so definitely have a story to tell, just need to figure out how, how I formulate it and how we do it. You know, just that experience is so kind of unique, um, you know, uh, and illustrative of what was happening uh, during that time. And so I just, it would just, it would be so meaningful, I think, to so many people um, yes. for you to tell that story and you tell it in such a great way. Thank you. So, all right. So we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you um, before we go, um, we need some parting words of wisdom. So what do you have for us, Ariel? Oh, parting words of wisdom. Well, I know that we We all are looking forward to next week, um, inauguration, and hopefully turning a page to a new era of a new presidency and new leadership and just, you know, feeling that relief of no longer being under the dictatorship of Donald Trump. Yes, 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 absolutely. We're all looking forward to that. Um, But I, I want us to not forget the hard work that will need to be done after that. We, unfortunately, as a country, will have a lot of cleaning up to do, a lot of fixing, and there are still so many people who are without jobs that have lost loved ones that are literally struggling to get by day to day. And so 
while we're hopeful for a better country, there's just so much work that needs to be done here in our state. So please be paying attention to what's happening at the state house. There's so much important legislation that is up. I really want us to make sure that we're paying attention to what's happening there. Um, we need to be paying attention to uh, what's gonna be happening in 22. There are a lot of very important seats that are gonna be up in 22 here in the state of Indiana. I want us to be thinking about that. Um, but most importantly, I just want us to be healthy and to you know be happy and connect with the people that are gonna be supportive of you. It's a very hard time right now. So find your support system, find your gals and your guys and everybody that's supportive of you and just lean into them because while next week will be great, um, we, we saw what just happened at the Capitol and it could happen again, unfortunately. And I just want everybody to be prayerful, but also just very vigilant of what's happening. And um, therefore, you know, our black and brown sisters and brothers and keeping them uplifted and supporting them because their voices are what's going to be the most important from here on out. And so I want to make sure that, that we're, we're leaning into what we just saw this summer with the civil unrest and that we as um, not only just myself as a woman of color, but you know, folks like you, Deb, really leaning into you know, being better allies and, and utilizing yourself to just be better um, for those communities because they're hurting and they're dying. And um, they're the folks that are gonna need the most help when we're coming out of this and looking at next week. So those are just some of my parting words and you know, I just sending all the love and light to everybody out there because we all need it right now. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I can feel it, feels good. <laughs> So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Ariel. I hope that we will be talking again very soon. Absolutely. And, um, and I am just so excited to watch what you're doing because it is really wonderful. And, um, you know, um, I just want to support it in any way that I can. Thank so, you. All right. Thank you. Thanks again. And we'll, we'll, you know, see you next time.